thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Joel Furman, who is a family physician, nutrition researcher and New York Times best-selling author. We're going to dive straight in with Dr. Joel today, team, and welcome him to the show. Hello, Dr. Furman. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited about talking to you tonight. Oh, yeah. it's in the morning for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is the time difference. Do people call you Dr. Joel or Dr. Furman? Just Joel or Dr. Furman, Excellent. not usually Dr. Joel. Okay. <laughs> Either one. Call me anything you want. I'll, I'll call you Joel, I think. I, I think that's a little bit less um, <laughs> formal. Sure. sure. Excellent. So it's your first time on the show. So I'd love for you to share a little bit of your background story and um, educate our listeners more about you. Well, I'm, I've been in practice in the field of nutritional science and nutritional medicine for more than 25 years. I went to medical school with the specific goal of being a specialist in nutritional medicine. I recognized back in the 1970s that medical care is insane and we're treating people for, th- for dietary-induced diseases with toxic medications that do nothing to take away the cause. And I was very passionate about it back then, so I um, you know, kind of retired from my family's business and, and pursued a career in this field. So I've I've been incredibly lucky, incredibly sad, you know, just so much um, reward watching people reverse disease and get well. So I've attracted a lot of patients with serious illnesses over the last 25, 30 years. They've had, you know, not just obesity and diabetes that were reversed and advanced heart disease that went away and people get back to normal again, but also reversed many, many cases with lupus and psoriasis and multiple sclerosis and scleroderma and connective tissue disease and autoimmune hepatitis and asthma and chronic headaches. And, you know, in other words, um, what my message is that food is more powerful than drugs. And, and without the knowledge of nutrition, without these advances in nutritional science made possible over the last 15 or 20 years, um, you know, that physicians don't have the ability. They're, they're really bar- – what they do is mostly barbaric. They treat people with, with medications and which, while they continue to get worse, resulting in tragic outcomes that, don't ha- that didn't have to happen. In the United States today, we have a growing business of nursing homes geared for people who have had strokes before the age of 60, in the, between, between the age of 40 and 60. People, you know, we're seeing more and more people get diabetes at a younger age and get heart disease attacks and, and have strokes at younger ages and cancers. At, and then of course, you know, we could talk over and over again, but the point is that mm. I've written 10 books, six of which have become New York Times bestsellers. I've had four tele- successful television shows here in the United States on PBS, public broadcasting, that have been one of the most successful fundraising shows for PBS, pledge shows. 
Um, millions of people have been exposed to my work. And in, in having that happen, I've been in contact with physicians and people all over the country that have transformed, uh, whose lives and their health has been transformed. Even today, I got an email from a, from a residency program in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I went down there about a year ago. And they said how they changed the whole hospital and residency program. And they're giving me all the cases of people they've reversed using nutritional, using these advances in nutritional science. So I, I have to say I'm just um, very grateful to um, have the opportunities I've had to be able to reach so many people and have had a positive effect in their lives. So it's been a, a very satisfying career um, for me. And I'm right now, I've, I'm the president of the Nutritional Research Foundation in the United States. We're doing two research projects right now and starting more. One is, is, is a, with Northern Arizona University. We've enrolling um, thousands of women who are pledging to be nutritarians to show that we can wipe out breast cancer. And the other study is, it, is, a, is in a Harvard affiliate hospital. It's a con randomized controlled trial showing how a nutritarian diet um, reverses diabetics. And I've published medical studies showing that um, this diet style lowered blood pressure, systolic blood pressure in 443 people, 26 points more powerful than medical interventions or any other diet style. In other words, the cholesterol lowering effects, the blood pressure lowering effects, the diabetic reversal effects, as well as the cancer preventative and longevity promoting effects are dramatic and are and there's significant evidence, and my, my books are very heavily referenced with scientific evidence, and I put together a portfolio of, of a diet style with the right portfolio, so we mix together those foods with the powerful anti-cancer effects that work synergistically, and I made an acronym to help people remember those foods, and that acronym is called G-BOMBS, which stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds, which we can talk about later. Mm. So my work has to do with some basic principles, which we could discuss, but I don't cater my work to be to do what's popular or what's going to sell the most or recruit the most um, people to join. I, my work is has a different niche. It's geared for people who want the mo the um, the the most powerful reversal programs and the the most longevity promoting, regardless of whether people would choose to eat this way or not. Then we secondarily try to make, you know, have it taste good and, and talk about how it's sustainable and tasty and how people's taste can, can be adapted to it. But, if, but of course, my primary concern is not to sell people out who have serious medical concerns who want to get well. And I don't weaken or soften the message to be more popular or make it more socially acceptable. So that's a, a rough overview of, of who I am. In the 1970s, I was also third in the world in, in um, professional pairs figure skating. I was on the United States world figure skating team, second in the United States, and I was on crutches for a year or two when I was young in my early 20s. But I, but I, so I was very much involved with athletics, still am, and I advise professional athletes and Olympic and Olympic athletes, and you know, some some of the um, United States Olympic hopefuls and Olympic athletes I've worked with in the past. So I work a lot in, in injury prevention and sports nutrition as well. So I have a, a a lifetime of experience that I bring to the table, and I'm very excited to talk to you and and about, of course, what I do. Yeah, amazing. I just love how you've taken things and you, I'm sure you've seen so many changes in recent years but I'd, I'd just love for you to share with us um, a bit more about your approach if you could define 
the nutritarian diet for us. Yeah, that would, thank you. That would be great. Um, well, it's based on three or four basic principles. The first principle has to do with nutrient density. And that means when you add up all the micronutrients in a food, and the, and the micronutrients are those things that do not have calories, like vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants. So I'm saying, and, and the macronutrients are fat, carbohydrate, and protein. I'm saying the macronutrient content and ratio is not that important. What's, mo what's most important is the micronutrient per calorie density. That means we, that in the modern world, especially in our country, most people eat way too many calories, but they take in way too little micronutrients. Mm. They have to be, eat foods with a higher micronutrient density to get more micronutrient bang per caloric buck. So it's, and I'm also, my teachings and my scientific studies also show that the higher the micronutrient density of the diet that people are eating, the less likely they're going to want to overeat, have food cravings, food addictions, and a disconnect between the amount of calories the body needs to maintain a perfect weight. In other words, people overeat because they're micronutrient, antioxidant, and phytochemical deficient, and it makes them feel fatigued and shaky and headachy and crampy and stomach cramp. They don't feel well unless they overeat calories. So that's one of the basic principles. So that's the first principle has to do with having to eat a diet high in micronutrients. And I, and I show people the scoring system, and I call it the ANDI score, the Aggregate Nutrient Density Index of foods adding up by their micronutrient counts, showing that green vegetables and colorful vegetables aren't a 10 times more nutrient dense, let's say, than processed foods and animal products. They're more than 50 to 100 times more nutrient dense. In other words, the foods that have the money in them, the foods that have the, the longevity-promoting effects are the cruciferous green vegetables, onions, mushrooms, berries, seeds, you know, and, and in other words, the colorful plants and eating the skins and the seeds of plants that have tremendous um, nutritional power to ward off cancer and disease. So that's the first principle. And that means more nutrients, less calories. And less calories means avoiding empty calories and concentrated calories like processed carbohydrates and oil. Oil is, um, is, a, is 120 calories per tablespoon, and the nutrients are lost when you process a nut and seed and you turn it into, a wal into an oil. When you turn a walnut into walnut oil, you've lost 90 to 95% of the nutrients that were there. When you turn sesame seeds into sesame oil, you've lost 98% of the nutrients that were there. In other words, it's best to eat our, fat, our fats in the form of whole foods, not in the oils extracted from their foods. So I'm well known for making delicious salad dressings by mixing you know, cashews and sesame seeds or, or pecans and sunflower seeds with like a tomato sauce with you know, fig vinegar and almonds and you know, gar roasted garlic and sun-dried and um, dried tomatoes. In other words, we make delicious dressings out of the whole nut or seed, not of the oil. Okay, so that's still the first principle, nutrient density. The second principle is to promote human longevity, the diet style has to be hormonally favorable. And the hormones we're talking about that hurt us in excess are things like estrogen and insulin and IGF-1, which stands for insulin-like growth factor one. And if you eat like most of the people in the modern world with a, or the high glycemic carbohydrates like white rice and white bread and white potato, a lot of those and sugars and honey and maple syrup. So I'm not, you know, I'm also against the idea that just because it's natural, 
like honey and maple syrup, the glucose load still has a tremendous you know, glucose load into the bloodstream, raising up insulin, especially for overweight people. The more overweight you are, the more the heightened bolus of insulin gets um, produced by the pancreas in response to high glycemic carbohydrates. And that heightened level of insulin circulates in your body for hours and has cancer-promoting effects and, and effects that promote aging. And the second in, um, hormone is insulin-like growth factor one, which is raised by an excessive consumption of animal protein. And a lot of the popular diets out there that are in fad today, like the paleo diets or, you know, or Ducan or Atkins, where they're ketogenic or where they're restricting carbohydrates, eating more animal products, are exceedingly dangerous because they push IGF-1 to very high, unfavorable levels, which accelerate aging of the brain and promote cancer. And we have many studies out today which have hard endpoints, like death or heart attack or cancer diagnoses. We're talking here about looking at studies properly, where we give more credence to studies that are with thousands of people tracked for 15 or 20 or 25 years with hard endpoints to see what happens when people follow these specific dietary patterns. And it's okay to have a hypothesis, but the overwhelming evidence we have today is that IGF-1 levels are linked to rates of breast cancer and they're interlinked collectively. You know, in populations that have high IGF-1, we see high cancer rates especially breast cancer and prostate cancer, and populations with low levels, we see low rates of cancer and dramatic increases in lifespan. So it's not just, so we have to restrict processed foods and animal products to a certain amount so we can have space in the diet for an adequate amount of unprocessed natural plant vegetation. And also, so we don't press IGF-1 high or some of these hormones, these growth hormones too high. And the third principle has to do with being comprehensive in your nutrient adequacy. And that means that you can be eating real healthy, but maybe you're deficient in B12 or vitamin D or DHA, or in other words, or, or iodine or zinc. That even if you're eating lots of kale, lots of kale and strawberries, for example, that's still not good enough because we have to make sure you're not making a particular mistake that could expose you to a deficiency that can cause a health issue. Lastly, is the fact of toxicity or you know, eating things that are carcinogenic or hurtful. And many people know that you know, mercury or PCBs or dioxin in, in large seafood, or they know about plast eating um, processed foods and the plastic you know, compounds, the BPAs that are expressed. But even supplements that are made from petroleum, like folic acid and acetal and retinal palmitate, like vitamin A, even the nutritional yeast people take that's fortified with synthetic B vitamins, and people getting these in, in these incredibly high dosages of folic acid have toxic effects to promote cancer. So that last principle is making sure people aren't taking things that have harmful substances in them that could sabotage their health. So I put a program together that tries to cover all the stones, you know, all the possible mis um, errors people could make about nutrition with no predetermined bias or philosophical bent. I'm only focused on the nutritional aspects that promote maximum health and longevity. And um, so that's basically an overview and we can dive into any one of those points in more detail and also eating those superfoods we mentioned earlier that each one individually has powerful effects to prevent breast and prostate cancer. When we put together a diet style with a full portfolio of these anti-cancer foods like flax seeds and mushrooms and, and cooked mushrooms and um, raw onion and scallion, when we do that, we get dramatic protection against later life breast cancer 
even when we haven't eaten perfectly the first half of our life. And that's the point. I mean, we can't just give people moderate improvements to their diet style when they've all been eating poorly the first half of their life. And then they've got broken, you know, epigenetic changes, methylation defects, and broken DNA crosslinks that cumulatively lead to and a buildup of advanced glycation end products and other toxins that could ultimately lead to some kind of medical condition like cancer. So we want, so I'm really an advocate of nutritional excellence to make sure people do not get, get protection and don't have to live with fear. Yeah, I absolutely love this. So let's just break down a few of the key components. I'd love to talk more about protein. Um, what I will do is put your nutritarian food pyramid in the show notes so our listeners can see more about your recommendations around the portions of foods. But um, obviously there is a time and a place for a protein, but how do you calculate or do you give recommendations on the amounts of protein someone should consume to avoid raising IGF-1? Exactly. That's exactly what I do, yes. yes. And keep in mind that certain plant foods are very high in protein, and as a person moves animal products out of their diet and moves towards a vegan diet, there's a tension play to eating green vegetables, like broccoli is half protein. Beans are 33, about a third protein, same as meat, except in beans, a part of their starch is not absorbable. It's resistant starch, and it's break, broken down into fat by bacteria fermentation in the gut, which means the actual protein of absorbable calories is even higher in beans, like 40%. So we're talking about seeds and nuts, like Mediterranean pine nuts, sunflower seeds, hemp seeds, very high in protein. So, so I just want you to make sure that when you're talking about the word protein, you're not using that as a substitute for animal products. Correct. We have to recognize Correct. that all foods, even a banana has protein in it, and a vegan diet, protein is not the minimal or not the, the, the it's not the deficient, a vegan diet or with no animal products, a well-designed vegan diet is not deficient in protein. I just want to make that clear. Mm. However, animal protein, because it's biologically complete, and has more branched chain amino acids and more methionine in particular, some of these, the animal protein has an effect and it, it flows into the bloodstream much more rapidly than plant proteins do. Plant proteins become complete over many hours so the body can utilize them for growth. But because animal proteins are already complete, they rush into the bloodstream more quickly and they have more effect at raising IGF-1. So you can push IGF-1 to favorable levels, like in the biosphere study, when they calorically restricted people, they cut back to try to get IGF-1 to lower to the point to extend lifespan like we see in, in primates, where we cut back on their calories and they can live twice as long or one and a half times as long. When they tried to do it to humans, the IGF-1 levels didn't drop to a favorable range because they were still eating 30% of calories from animal protein, which was too high. We generally see levels of IGF-1. The optimal levels are between like 100 and 150. And the average person in the United States has levels around 225 to 250. The average long-distance runner usually has levels between 175 and 200. So exercise, being thinner, reducing calories lowers it. Lowering sugar in your diet lowers it. But the most, most critical thing you need to do to lower it is not eat too much animal products. So below 10%, we generally see people run below 175, 150. Vegans run, run lower. But... IGF-1 can also be a problem that gets too low. 
when you start to see numbers at 50 or 60 going below 75, which can happen in the elderly. When people are above 80 years old, when they don't assimilate protein as well, and they're not paying attention to the protein to the protein bioavailability, like on a vegan diet, if they're on a carbohydrate-based vegan diet with lots of rice and potato, those elderly people could get muscle wasting. So we're talking here about making sure the IGF-1 is favorable, but then, of course, as protein assimilation and bioavailability goes down with aging, we have to adjust the diet accordingly to make sure it doesn't get too low. So there's a lot of issues we can discuss here, but but some of the studies on you know on paleo Atkins type diets where they increase the animal protein in the diet or measured animal protein thirty percent versus ten percent versus seven percent. There are numerous long term studies with large numbers of people done now. And the evidence is consistent and overwhelming that excess animal protein increases risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease. For example, one study published in 2012 issue of British Medical Journal followed 43,000 women and they tracked, and these women were eating a diet that was low in sugar and processed foods, and they rated them on a scale of one to 20. One would be almost all vegan with no animal products. Two would be a little bit of animal products. Three would be a little bit more. But 20 would be like an Atkins-type diet or a, or a high paleo you know, a diet with 50 to 80% of calories and animal products scored 20. And every person scored a, a number between 1 and 20. And they found that those people who scored above 16, from 16 to 20 compared to those below 6, had a uh, 60% increase in cardiovascular death when tracked over that 20 year period. And, and, and another study found the same thing. Uh, the an Annals of Internal Medicine study published in 2010 tracked 129,000 people comparing higher animal protein to lower animal protein, finding a 43% increased risk of death. And these were all people who were on, on low processed food diets. And the only thing that varied were the amount of animal products in their diet. And the higher amounts were 30% in America the average American is eating 32, 33% of calories from animal product. I recommend to be under 10% and for serious illnesses like heart disease reversal, under 5%. But nevertheless, what we're, we're finding here is that there was a you know, 43% increased death. And another study published in, this, in, in a journal called Cell Metabolism in 2014 with 6,000 adults between the ages of 50 and 65 followed for 18 years showed a fourfold increase, 400% increase rate of cancer death over that 18 year period in the high protein group and a 75% increase of total mortality. So what I'm saying here is that we have to look at all the evidence and be careful. In, and we have new data here. And, and now nutritional scientists are coalescing around, you know, most of the non-commercial and non-fad nutritional scientists our, our goal, our understanding that your diet has to be rich in plant matter, nutrient dense, natural foods, rich in plant matter, and of course, looking for the you know individual differences that would require some tweaks to make sure people have you know are getting adequate of everything they need. Yeah, that's fascinating. So again, I'll, I'll put that information in the show notes for those that want to find out more. So certainly um, you've touched on the acronym GBOM. So I'd love for you to talk more about those foods in particular and your work in breast cancer prevention. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, because I'm really excited about um, the studies we're doing now in, in breast cancer prevention here in the States. I know your audience, you know, can't partake, partake in that, but it's still, you know, um, 
because we can't take people into this study that are outside of the United States right now. But it's still really exciting for me to be working with, you know, universities on these studies. So, right, in my book, Super Immunity, I put together a protocol diet for people to, who have cancer and for people who want to protect themselves with cancer, just have better immune system function. And we're literally recruiting thousands of women from across the United States to, to, who pledge to be a nutritarian. And, and that means that they're eating a salad every day with some raw cruciferous vegetable and raw onion on it, like um, a little bit of scallion or onion and some raw cruciferous to get those isothiocyanides because the ITCs are susceptible to cooking. You don't make them if you cook the vegetable. You got to eat some vegetables raw. And if you eat some vegetables raw with the cooked broccoli and with the cooked Brussels sprouts, you'll get more benefit from the cooked food as well because you'll have some of that myrosinase enzyme that was heat sensitive. You'll have it in the, in the digestive tract in the stomach and it can still work on some of the cooked vegetables you ate with the same meal. But the point is, is that the cruciferous vegetable family supplies us with about 100 different types of ITCs or isothiocyanides that have powerful effects against cancer. And then the B, the beans are rich in inositol pentacus phosphate and other fibers and resistant starches and other benefits to, that have dramatic effects against breast cancer. In the Boston Nurses Study, beans were the most critical food that showed the most powerful effect of preventing breast cancer in women who ate them regularly. And then onion, and we're talking about raw onion or scallion, a little bit on your salad each day or a little bit mixed into the vegetables you're eating or sprinkled over your cooked vegetables. They have this enzyme called allinase, A-L-L-I-I-N-A-S-E, which is also heat sensitive. So if you cook the onion, you've lost those anti-cancer effects. You know, when you chew these vegetables in your mouth, it forms a chemistry set. You cut it in your kitchen, you know, it makes your eyes tear. You're forming these anti-cancer compounds when you break the cell wall and the chemist and the chemicals are mixing. So we want a little bit of raw onion mixed in the blender or, or chopped in a salad. A lot of times when I'm making a healthy soup, like an anti-cancer soup, I'll take the raw kale, the raw mustard greens, the raw onion or scallion, the raw leek. I'll ladle a little liquid in the blender and I'll whip that up raw in the blender to create this stinky smell to maximize the production of those anti-cancer compounds. And then once I did that, you can pour it into the soup to cook with the beans and the mushrooms because, look, the, the soup won't destroy the anti-cancer compounds once they're formed, but if we put the onion in there and the, before it was chopped or blended or the kale or the cruciferous vegetables in there, it would have inhibited the formation of those compounds. All right, so we talked about greens, beans, onions, mushrooms. Now, mushrooms are very powerful against breast cancer. They're rich in aromatase inhibitors, which protect the breast against estrogen stimulation, and they have, they have um, angiogenesis inhibitors which don't let cells metastasize or, or don't let fat, in other words, angiogenesis inhibitors prevent blood vessels, new blood vessels from growing to fuel cancer. And fat cells, by the way, secrete angiogenesis promoters. And because they, they want blood vessels to grow into the fat cells to be fed with glucose and oxygen to help them grow. If we have angiogenesis inhibitors, they say no to cancer, and they say, no way, Jose, I'm not letting you put fat on your body. They have anti-fat storage effects. And the mushrooms say, no way, Jose, in Spanish. They say, no way, Jose, like that. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's so mushrooms have very powerful anti-cancer effects. One study, for example, showed that women who ate a 10 grams of mushrooms a day had a 64% lower risk of developing breast cancer just from that tiny bit of mushroom each day. And so, uh, so I advocate... And, and mushrooms be cooked because they have a mild carcinogen called agaritine in mushrooms that is better to blow it off with a little bit of cooking. So as you see, some foods are better raw, other foods might be better cooked, you know. So And then G-bombs, after the mushrooms, we have B again for berries, which have G, 
B-O-M-B-S, B for berries, berries and, and other fruits that are high in polyphenols and, and flavonoids have protective effects, effects against the brain from dementia, have powerful anti-cancer effects. They add benefit, you know, traumatic benefits to longevity. They're another superfood. And then lastly, S for seeds, like flax seeds and chia seeds and sesame seeds, which are rich in lignans. The flax seed is the richest in lignin. For example, one study followed women who already had a diagnosis of breast cancer for 10 years, and those who ate a little bit of lignin each day, a third of a milligram of lignin, had a 71% lower risk of developing, of, of death from breast cancer over that 10-year period, which was dramatic because these are women who already had cancer. And the effects of lignans are more powerful before you get cancer, when you, you take them preventively, not after you get cancer, but they still, the fact that they're so protective, even when you have a diagnosis of cancer, shows how incredibly protective they are. And a teaspoon of flax seeds ground has seven milligrams of lignin, and these women in the study only had a third of a milligram of lignin in, the lignin, um, in that group that were, were eating this, that, um, those foods. The point is, is that when you collectively, when you do this right, and you develop a diet to eat these powerful anti-cancer foods, and you remove the factors that promote cancer, like sugar, honey, maple syrup, and you know, and white flour, and white rice, and white bread, and sweet. You know, we remove those cancer promoters and folic acid. And we, I've seen that um, early stage cancer reverse itself. We have lots of. I have patients who've had you know, advanced cancers that reverse. I'm not claiming that that happens regularly, but I am saying that early stage cancers reverse predictably. And the earlier people start it in life the more cancer protection they get. So I see this as a, um, you know, we're doing these studies now and we're following women for 10 years or more. And a lot of these women who are in the study are women who have early stage cancers. We recruit them from oncologists. And a lot of the women in the study are people who are just healthy without cancer as well. So we hope to publish multiple medical journal studies from the data we're collection, collecting and working on and, and through the Nutritional Research Foundation. So we're doing some exciting work there. Amazing. That is so fascinating. And I think, you know, it's a really, really important message to share. As you touched on at the very beginning, you're obviously very aware of the um, the conventional treatment in this instance. So I just think it's so amazing that we can teach the importance of nutrition and these specific compounds that can make all the difference to our long-term health. So then on the, um, on the other side of that, what, what do you see is the problem with folic acid? Right. Well, thank you for asking that because I'm, you know, cause it's really important that people understand this information. Mm. You see, folic acid is not, does not exist in nature. That's a synthetic chemical made from petroleum. What, what you get from green vegetables and beans are called, is called folate, not folic acid. And folic acid is a different compound. The body has to convert it to folate to be act to be to work as folate, and it can't convert that much. So most of it gets penetrates cells as folic acid, and it promotes cellular replication. And it can't and the cells can't you know if you're taking too much folate from green vegetables, it can't hurt you if you eat too many green vegetables because the cells won't absorb more than they need. But when you take in folic acid from nutrition fortified nutritional yeast and vitamin supplements, the body can't shut it out. It's, it's about 10 times more absorbable than folate, than folate is. And so the body, when, even when one has too much, it keeps absorbing it. And this has an effect to promote cellular replication. And don't let anybody tell you that it's harmless by showing you a short-term, a short-term study. 
for a study to accurately determine the negative effect of a substance like this, they have to go on for 5, 10, or 15 years. And all the long-term studies that go on for many, many years on folic acid show detrimental effects. When people kind of post and claim it's not dangerous, they post this short-term two- or three-year study to try to trick people into thinking it's okay. And I'm telling people that you know, we're, in, we're told by health authorities to take folic acid when you're pregnant to prevent birth defects. They're not telling people to eat green vegetables to prevent birth defects. Mm. And what happens from that is that people don't have to eat green vegetables. And the lack of green vegetables in the diet doesn't just lower your level of folate, it lowers your level of a whole mess of phytochemicals, a whole um, symphony or, of phytochemicals that protect against autism and childhood cancer and, and, and infection. In other words, children have more cancer because their mothers are taking folic acid for their folate instead of eating folate from green vegetables. So what we've done is we've created an epidemic of childhood cancer of other diseases like autism and and um, and childhood infections and allergies and other things are, are because women don't aren't knowing that it's important to eat these natural foods even and we're talking here about the lack of vegetables in the diet even years prior to conception affects the health of your child and can increase the risk of cancer a poor diet a fast food diet even before you even get pregnant can hurt your children. It's not your, your eggs are there. Your eggs are in your body your whole life. They're formed when your mother formed you in her womb. When your nails and hair was being formed, your children were being formed at the same time. The eggs that are in your body back then, and they can be damaged by a bad diet before you conceive. The point I'm making now is that health authorities miss the boat. Instead of telling people to make sure they eat enough green vegetables and enough beans to get enough folate, instead we give them a pill, which now how should I say it, makes them no longer have to be responsible to eat healthfully because they think they can eat, take the pill to get it. It's the same thing doctors do with giving people blood pressure medication, diabetic medication, and cholesterol-lowering drugs because, they're, because the pills make their cholesterol look better and their glucose number look better and their blood pressure look better. They think they're okay to keep eating the same diet that caused the problem to begin with, and the inevitable consequence is that they worsen quickly and eventually lead to a tragic demise, and they're not protected. Drugs only protect people from heart attacks and strokes somewhere in that 10 or 15% range, and nutritional excellence protects people 100 times. It totally wipes out the possibility of a heart attack or a stroke, and, and the, it's 100 times more effective. And I wouldn't object to this pill mentality if people were properly informed that these things don't really protect fully, and they lead, lead and they lead to other risk factors and other problems from the taking the medications. But people aren't informed; they're just thrust with this concept that drugs are the answer to everything. Oh, I completely agree. And we're so used to this magic pill society that right. we often lose sight of where the real benefits are. So I can tell you're very passionate about this and I absolutely love it. Um, I just wanted you to go into a little bit more detail about nutritional yeast. Well, I have no problem with nutritional yeast at all. It's a great flavoring. But most of the nutritional yeast available here on, in the markets have been fortified with, with synthetic vitamins. And like, and the synthetic, and they have a high dose of folic acid in them. And when people are making recipes, they're sometimes putting half a cup of nutritional yeast into their cauliflower, you know, onion mushroom dish or something mm. for flavor. And they just dumped on thousands of, micro, of milligrams of folic acid on in there. And they had no concept that that's harmful to themselves. So what I'm asking people to do, not to not use nutritional yeast, mm. but I'm asking them to seek out and purchase non-fortified nutritional yeast 
so they don't overdose themselves with folic acid. You know, and, and in this country, I have some on the, my website where people can order it here if they can't find it locally around where they live. But in Australia, I'm sure that you probably you have to search for it or, or work with some companies to see if you can get some to make, see if it's maybe there is unfortified yeast available there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really important point, though, because, you know, in this, I think nutritional yeast is quite popular in the vegan space and everyone has yes. the assumption that vegans can't get enough B12. And I think that's, you know, we're not talking about a well-designed vegan diet in this instant. It is someone that's relying on carbohydrates too much or uh, complex carbohydrates too much. So they well, think B12, that... Vegans need more B12. The mm. RDI B12 is way too low for a vegan. Mm. And you can't get a, you can't get your B12 needs met from nutritional yeast anyway. It's a poor source of B12. Uh, the point I'm making here is this, is that when you're eating animal products regularly, like two or three times a day, you're absorbing a little B12 at every meal because the intrinsic factor can only absorb about 1.5 micrograms at a time. So if you had two or three servings of Anaprox a day, you'd absorb about 3.5 to 4.5 micrograms of B12 a day, which would be sufficient. But if you're on a vegan diet and you're taking a pill, you're only exposed to B12 once a day. You're still going to, intrinsic factor, only absorb 1.5 micrograms, which is going to make you deficient over time, especially as you age and B12 absorption goes down. And what I'm saying is that the RDI for B12, the four micrograms, is not sufficient for a vegan. They need to take 200 or more micrograms a day so they can get their, they can get the four into the body. The four micrograms are absorbed through diffusion because you absorb about one and a half percent to two percent by an accessory um, mechanism through direct diffusion. The point I'm making now is that nutritional yeast and soy milk are not an adequate source of B12 for a vegan. It doesn't give you enough exposure, and the, in, and the supplement that vegans should use for B12 has to have a significantly higher dose than a person that's using animal products more compared to a person that's using animal products more regularly, though as people age, especially over the age of 80, their B12 absorption should go down, and all people should be checked with an MMA and a B12 level. MMA stands for methylmalonic acid to make sure they're taking enough B12 because once your brain cells are shrunken from B12 deficiency, they don't that easily grow back at that age. So we want to make sure that people are not B12 deficient. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Very good. Okay. So what I really wanted to um, get you to share with us is – more about your new book you've got coming out. So I believe it's coming out in early May. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, I have 10 books. The, <laughs> my most recent book is called The End of Heart Disease, by the way, which came out about five months ago. That book um, is, my, is a heavy book, very thick. It's got like, you know, over 400 pages. It's, it really goes through in all the harmful effects of medications and why angioplasty and bypass surgery do not extend life and do you feel, and, and how you could totally prevent heart disease and the documentation and the studies that show it's reversed, how effectively and how easily it is reversed. And it compares various diets that, and the proof and the studies that show varying dietary styles being able to reverse heart disease. So I, that's my most recent book. The book in May is called the Eat to Live Quick and Easy Cookbook, which is all these recipes because people say they're too busy to cook and they want things that are really simple, that taste good, they can use every day without taking a lot of time to prepare them. So we put that book together. And right now we have a, a pre, what is it called, a pre-order available. People, if they pre-order the book, 
they get like 33 recipes and stuff like that, you know, in a package from we worked out with the, with the book publisher that we can send email them a PDF if they pre-order the book. But so that book I'm excited about, but I'm also excited about a book I finished that's going to come out in October 2017, which is called Fast Food Genocide which talks about the effects of fast foods and processed foods on the human brain and how it leads to not just food addiction and obesity and diabetes, but also um, diminishing brain function, mental fog, loss of intelligence, propensity for addiction, violence, drug use, and increasing risk of criminal behavior and how, you know, how it's led to a, a destruction of the urban areas in the United States when people don't have access to fresh food in their diet. And then the effect it's had on on um, on people of um, of you know decreased economic opportunities. So I'm very excited about that book. It has political and social implications. It's my first book that's not written about like how to get well or how to fix your own health. It's not like a self help book. It's a book that has societal implications on the history of nutrition, in you know in the United States and how we've heard it, how people are get are hurt and how populations are hurt and their chance for economic opportunity and happiness are derailed by a porks by lack of good food. Fantastic. I look forward to learning more when those next projects are released. So where can our listeners find out more? Well, I, you know, nowadays the internet, I guess, is the base that we're connected from all over the world. I, you know, it's funny because I have some members on my website who question me and they ask the doctor forum about their health conditions that are from Australia. You know, it's funny. We have some New Zealand. We have people from, you know, Scandinavia and Italy and South, and South Africa. It's, it's amazing how the, the world can come together. So my website is drfurman.com and that's d-r-f-u-h-r-m-a-n.com and 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 people can you know get facebook posts and get um emails and things so there's a way we can keep in contact and support each other nowadays and it's like we're doing right now why we're talking from on one side of the world to the other it's kind of cool isn't it it's very cool yes absolutely it's been so great to connect with you today um you're obviously a wealth of knowledge and as i said earlier very passionate about what you do so thank you very much for fighting the fight and um i'll encourage all of our listeners to head to your website to find out more and i'll put some links directly to your book so they can continue to learn from you oh terrific all right, well, good luck to you and all your listeners and hope that you, are, have, you all have lots of happiness and great health. Thank you again, Dr. Furman. It's been great to chat. I look forward to speaking again soon. My pleasure. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.